Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello, and welcome to the Financial Times Career Changes podcast with me, Emma Jacobs. This week, I speak to Thomas Davies, who joined Google over 10 years ago. You'd be forgiven for thinking that he might still be pacing the corridors of the tech group today. But no, Thomas has decided to go his own way as an entrepreneur and launch Temporal, a company that advises and benchmarks on corporate culture. I invited Thomas in to tell me what it's been like to give up a monthly salary. Hi, Thomas. Nice to see you. Thank Thanks you. for coming in. Pleasure. We're going to talk about your journey from corporate to entrepreneur. Mm-hmm. And if we start off with Google, which is where mm. you were for 10 years, yeah. what was your background before coming to Google? Yeah, I joined in 2007. I'd had a uh, you know, reasonably long history before that in what I would call kind of business technology. So you know, enterprise software, first job was in e-commerce and then into the world of SAP. And then I joined an American software company called Vignette. They got acquired. And then this amazing company came along called Google and sort of tempted me to to leave everything. So when I joined Google Enterprise, I was one of the first kind of employees really in the European organization. and was just super lucky, you know, very quickly ran the UK and Irish business. And then over, you know, a decade, I was asked to take on three, you know, reasonably senior leadership roles and then I don't know where the time went uh, but I had an absolutely fabulous career and really enjoyed it. And you were based in London? Based in Victoria yes yeah, so we switched uh, offices I think three or four times over that kind of over that period but I spent a lot of my time uh, in Victoria in Buckingham Palace Road so um, yeah I know London very well. And also airports, you know airports very well. <laughs> I know airports pretty well. I know my, most airport lounges yeah I you know the UK and Ireland obviously was, was a role that was predominantly based here in London I then ran Northern, Eastern and Central Europe. That was the most difficult job, actually, because of the traveling. So I'd frequently come in and out of you know, a lot of European cities two or three times a week. I was always someone that didn't particularly want to stay and then hotel hop across Europe. So I'd often used to kind of fly back in, and that's because I wanted to spend time with the children. That definitely took its toll after about two or three years. And actually... It was more fatiguing than I think you can probably realise when you're when you're actually doing it. But um, yeah, I just learned a huge amount, spent lots of time in different cultures and, and incredible teams. What is tiring about travelling? I mean, for people that don't yeah. do lots of business travel, they don't really. It seems quite nice going to Amsterdam for the week. Or yeah, going to Amsterdam for a week probably is nice. Going to Amsterdam for two hours is probably more tiring. You know, the short travel times are the most difficult because you're up super early you know you're often not getting back until nine and ten at night and then potentially then having to fly to Helsinki the following morning up again at four o'clock I actually was one of those people when I was doing long haul I actually wouldn't work I used to take that time to read uh, both personal but also kind of business books and that helped an awful lot is to train myself when not to work and not always be on um, but yeah, the romanticism of travelling uh, goes quite quickly. And your kids are how old are they? Uh, nine, eleven, and thirteen. 
And so what do you think the toll was on them of all the travel? Look, I think if you if you asked them, you know, kids grow up very quickly and, and you know, they often forget, they, they do remember that dad used to work for Google. You know, at the time, I, I'm sure they were extremely proud of that. But I've always wanted to do something again, just as big and important for me. And now they get that. They're at the age now where they see the things I'm doing at Temporal and why I'm doing it. And I think they're equally proud. You know, when my daughter was very young, I was traveling to South Africa frequently for the week. And actually there was a few times when I got back you know, late on a Friday and thinking, gosh, I've missed the whole week. I've missed that time with her. That was one of the reasons why I left Vignette to join Google because the, the Google role was UK and Ireland. And actually at that time in my life, I wanted to spend more time with my daughter. And you started to feel dissatisfied at Google. What was that like? No, it's not dissatisfied. Uh, it, I, look, it's a, it's a great company, uh, but more importantly than that, there are just some outstandingly talented people there. But you still left. <laughs> yeah, I left, but I I mean, it's I no shame to say, no. I mean, you, when we've talked about it before, uh, you've yeah. talked about kind of feeling trapped by a gilded cage, really. Well, look, I've worked in three-year cycles, and I think that's only something... That's only something you start to appreciate and realise probably as you get past each one of those three-year cycles. So the company is amazing, the people are amazing. I work in three-year cycles and I'd got to kind of year nine, nine and a half and was starting to think, okay, well, what else could I do? Look, I, I, you know, I've shared with you before that the, the career progression in Google I felt was for me quite linear. You know, I was you know, running a you know, reasonably big commercial business but I always wanted to understand what it would feel like to build my own company from the bottom up, and that's what Temporal has allowed me to do. And if you can just get past the first kind of six to 12 months, which I do feel is the hardest as a startup, is you get to start to choose the people that you work with, which is a real gift. Um, yeah, and, and frankly, yeah, it, it is hard to leave an organization the size of Google when you're being paid well. But the last couple of years, it was never about the money. It was about wanting to learn something new and different and, and challenge myself with new things. And I am doing that every day with abundance, and I wouldn't go back. But when you say that you wanted to know how it felt mm. to, to go out on your own, what do you mean? What did that feeling that yeah. you wanted to feel yeah. look like? Yeah, look, I, I say this to people, and I think there's a kind of slight hesitation when they're going to look at it. Look, there is a big difference in my eyes between being a serial entrepreneur and being a founder. I'm not an entrepreneur. I'm definitely a founder. This is something for me that is a massive area of personal interest. Like, How do you help companies benefit from outstanding organizational culture? It doesn't have to be the Facebooks and the Googles and the Microsofts that benefit from that. Anybody should be able to do it. And I'm just interested in it. So then when you've got an idea that kind of, you know, the seed is planted and it's and it slowly germinates, I think when you genuinely feel yourself that you have an idea that has real merit, it's quite hard to keep it sort of died down. So for me, I think, honestly, it was just a matter of time. It was a matter of when. It doesn't make the decision any easier to actually leave, but you have to swallow the brave pill. I mean, you didn't wake up one morning with the idea. It was a process. I mean, it's a yeah. transition, isn't it? And it, yeah. and you did some executive coaching. Exactly. Yeah. Look, I'm unfortunately not one of those 
brilliant as I said serial entrepreneurs who have like this flood of ideas again and again this is something that in particular I thought gosh hang on there's a real issue there's a challenge that can be solved here and I thought you know I, I could do that yeah whether it's my age or whether it's just kind of where I was with my experience having executive coaching for me allowed me to stop I think to just consider what it is I wanted to do and why I was doing it and then you come up with your own answers and that's what executive coaching is about great coaches listen and let you come up with your own answers and I think you know, the combination of you know, nine years in executive coaching starting to really feel that there was something potent that I wanted to do these things all came together at exactly the same time and then it gets harder and harder to ignore so can you explain what Temporal does, Thomas? Yeah, so look, Temporal, uh, we've built an enterprise software platform. Uh, we call that platform Culture Analytics. And what we do and what that platform does is it, you know, we help organizations design, manage, measure, and report outstanding organizational culture. The thing that really underpins it is something that we call our cultural performance indicators. So we work with CEOs and CFOs to really understand what is the outcome and the benefit of outstanding culture and how does that translate to bottom line results it's kind of the opposite of employee engagement which is very soft and fuzzy you know we love talking about the ROI of culture so that's why we work with CEOs and CFOs so enterprise platform we have a services organization that help us actually configure and deploy that and then our executive advisors actually then help our you know our clients to go and deploy those interventions to really really add significant value to them I mean, it, yeah. when people start coaching, they often have a kind of murky, blamongy feeling of wanting to do something different but mm. not knowing how to do it. Yeah. And so how did you kind of narrow that down? I mean, does that resonate with you or am I...? Yeah, well, look, when I had... Um, when I was... I went and had a, a wonderful coach. And actually, the role of a coach, first up, is to really stretch things, like go left to right and pull things and allow you to explore... And it's only when I think you've been able to do that properly can you then go into the depth. When I finished my coaching, I then became an accredited coach. Uh, I went through the Mailer Campbell business coaching program, which was just wonderful. So coaching for me was so profound that actually I then wanted to do it more myself. I still do coaching now, so I'm very careful. I only do three or four clients a year, and I do them one after each other. I don't do them uh, you know, at the same time. Uh, but it's something I do feel that a lot of people would benefit from, not just leaders. I think actually democratizing coaching to have the experience of other people in organization like managers is something that we'll start to see more and more of. And one part of it was talking to lots of people, wasn't it? Yes. And so who did you talk to? Anyone who'd listen, honestly. More often than not, it was a referral from somebody. You know, I'm very lucky. I had you know, a reasonably big network of people, though I'm not a serial networker. I'm naturally quite introverted, so sometimes it's hard work and tiring for me to do things that are kind of really front of house. I mean, how did you, what kind of meetings would you set up? I think mm. that for people that aren't natural extroverts mm. and don't rock up at a networking mm. party and have 20 cards yeah. at the end of it, how do you go about it? Yeah, that's my idea of hell, yeah. by the way. Me um, too. It really is. Uh, having, having a room of people, speed networking, is not something I do or would do because I find it inauthentic and tiring. But actually asking people who do they know that could give you 
just some really gentle, informal advice about someone that you care about, no one's ever said no to me. I would much rather, you know, go and meet someone for a cup of coffee, nice and relaxed and informal, and just talk to them. And more often than not, they were quite interested in the stuff that I'd done or could help them with. And I would always pick something up as, oh, right, you know what, I didn't know that. And then asking them the question, do you know anybody who could help me understand this field more? And I've met hundreds of people since leaving Google that I'd, I'd never met. And they're all part of the journey to really understand what it is that we wanted to do. And to your point about coaching, kind of stretching it left to right and then going, right, I've now found the area, then going deep. It doesn't happen overnight. And actually trying to do that probably too early would provide a lack of clarity and focus. But for me, I now know exactly what I want to do in the next three years, with whom, and what we're going to build. And that took a lot of time and effort, but we made it. And did it take longer than you thought? Yes. And so what did you expect? The frustrating thing about doing a startup is that it doesn't matter how much you read, the good, the bad, the ugly of doing it, Every day, there is something new that you need to have learned or already known. And I underestimated how much I didn't know. And I thought I was reasonably well-read and I knew lots of people. Would I change it? No, because I'm learning every day. I'm having to do things around marketing and sales and finance and legal. And I'm lucky because I've got 25 years experience in doing many of these things. but. When you're doing it for your own business, these things matter. Like if things don't get done, they don't get done. If I don't do them, they often just get going to put off a list. So the degree of accountability, responsibility is what I wanted. That is what I've got. It is extremely hard work. I mean, lots of people leave corporate jobs mm. because they think their idea of being an entrepreneur is, well, they're lured by autonomy their times their own but how do you feel about your time being your own it's really nice but is your time your own are you working fewer I, hours do you think no i'm not working fewer hours i'm working when i want to work so look i work every day for sure you know i work on a saturday i work on a sunday do i do nine hours no do i do one or two for sure are there certain days where i'm working all day sunday yes but that is by design I have the luxury now of deciding what gets done in what order. I don't get put on a plane to go and join another person's meeting. And I look, I was you know, chatting to some ex-colleagues and one of the most hiring things of any company is when they get to size and scale is the number of internal meetings you have. Yes. You know, like a lot of people do 10 meetings a day, um, of which eight of them are internal. Mine are all external. If someone wants to speak to me from the team, they call me. That will change. And I know that will change when we scale up and up. But right now, I really feel that I can direct my time and energy into the very most important things every single day. We are hyper productive for that reason. And what kind of reaction did you get from peers? I was just reading a book by someone who handed her notice in and she said she used to get so many well done you, you're brave from exactly <laughs> the people that were staying in their jobs and had no desire to leave or or feared it too much yeah you know i i know hundreds and hundreds of people you know ex-peers of mine i think i would like to think that a lot of people were kind of pleased for me 
that even after you know a prolonged period of time and, and doing well in my career that taking the step out and not joining another corporate is quite brave. A lot of people are still incredibly interested in how it's going. I think they almost kind of see me as a little bit of a calibrator and a barometer. Um, and we're working really hard. And, I, and as I said, I've got so many friends there. There's no hiding, you know, if what we do is going to work and do extremely well, which at the moment it is. I think there's a lot of people who are willing me on uh, from the company. And it's, um, I, you know, I, I really value the friendships I, I have there greatly. And did you have savings? Yeah, look, I, I, you know, I've I've always, I think, lived my life in a really kind of measured way. You know, I'm not particularly materialistic about things. Um, I've had some savings, I've had some shares, of course, but I've, you know, I've never kind of overspent them too early. I'd always wanted to build Temporal in a bootstrap style, whereby, you know, you're not just ploughing in a ton of money and then using that money in a way that was too broad execution is an enormous part of running a startup business and I'm pretty heavily execution focused as well I've been very prudent with how we've invested in the business we've bootstrapped it for over a year that is using cash that we have generated from revenue and income from the business to pay for things that's actually quite unusual to do that that may change but right now we're in a really good place I can't actually be much happier. And do you get to see your kids more? I do. I get all of my creativity in the morning. One could often see me just standing by myself in the kitchen, sipping a cup of coffee at five o'clock, just eyes looking up. Uh, they're not aware of this kind of early early morning frenzy. Uh, I try to, you know, get them on the school bus and, uh, and do such. But, I, yeah, I see the kids... Um, I see the kids more than I saw them when I was at Google, which is incredibly important to me. And do you miss anything about corporate life? Security. There's definitely the security of it. Uh, there's also the financial security, so you know exactly what is kind of coming in and what's going out. It's, it's easier to have like an operational financial position where you kind of, you can see everything line of sight you don't get that so much when you're founding a business. There's definitely the peaks and the troughs and like, oh gosh, you know, how are we doing for cash flow this month? But it's getting easier because, you know, the more clients you have, the more recurring revenue that you have. You know, we're in this position now that, you know, we're having people approach us as opposed to us just having to approach people, which is not something that we were expecting so early. Security, and I miss the people but it's worth doing if you find the right step to take. Oh, thank you very much, Thomas. It's a pleasure. Thanks for having me. And so, having heard from Thomas about the various exciting consequences and character-building challenges that he's faced since starting his own business, I wanted to speak to someone with insight into the transformation that Thomas and others like him are making away from corporate life. I'm Julian Birkinshaw. I'm a professor and deputy dean at the London Business School. Hi, Julian. I have a small role as a, as a board member for Temporal, uh, where I work with them maybe a day a month helping to advise them and occasionally going with them to help to sell and develop the business. And so you met Thomas about 18 months ago, is that right? That's right. He, he literally just pitched up in my office. He, you know, he came to me through a, a mutual friend, and I have quite a lot of those sort of conversations. But something about 
Thomas's pitch actually inspired me to get involved. What about the pitches that you don't get involved with? What mistakes do people make when they come to see you? So a lot of people have great ideas that are going nowhere. And what I mean by that is that they don't have any purchase, any point to start. Many people will have these huge long-term plans, but no starting point. The thing I liked about Thomas is because he came from Google, because he had spent you know, the last 10 years of his life working with, with clients in terms of building out Google's offerings, he had the client relationships, and he also had a, you know, a very distinctive sort of sales proposition, which is that he knows what it is that makes large companies in particular tick. And I mean, when he came to see you, you have spent with others time trying to clarify what the proposition is. Yep. Um, I mean, how difficult was that? And how did he go about testing it? And how did you help him do that? So the language of today is about minimum viable products and pivoting and, mm. and all that stuff. You know, you, you can't just try out your idea sort of on paper or on a, on a computer what you've got to do is to try out versions of it with clients. So Thomas, early on, started going to, to meet with clients, and I had a few of those conversations as well. What you're doing is you're trying to see what sticks, right? You're trying to see which angle you take. Actually, people say, yes, that's what we need. And so fairly quickly, we, we honed in on culture and the idea that you can get a return on investment if you work on culture. So that process of making sense of the early conversations with prospective clients and then sort of reinventing the offer in a sort of back and forth process. That's what we did. That's what we spent the last 12 months doing. I mean, when you teach at LBS, you must see a lot of people that want to start businesses. What are some of the mistakes that you see them going through or about to embark on? Yeah, I mean, very often there is nothing sort of remotely unique about what they're trying to do. And that's all right if all you're trying to do is just to sell your own services to, to people in an area you've worked in before. But, but, you know, if you're trying to really create a business, we're looking for that, that distinctive proposition. And the point is we're looking for that distinctive proposition which has an initial market, it has an initial body of customers who you can see are going to be excited about it immediately. The language today is around, you know, do we address a problem or a pain point that they, they need resolving? And, and, and that's what everyone talks about now, but it is remarkable how difficult it is to actually find one of those that you can actually address you know, with relatively little investment. Because you know, these days, you know, there's some people who can invest years in the technological kind of development, but actually... That's a very, very long and slow process, and quite honestly, it's better done in a corporate setting. Most entrepreneurs have got to have some sort of juicy idea that they can get working on straight away. So do you advise people to go back to work? Yeah, I mean, absolutely. The, the vast majority of them, I said to them, look, I can see that this is interesting. Frankly, particularly if you've just got yourself an MBA, you, know, you should build yourself a platform, which is to get yourself some stable employment, some revenues. Continue to work on this in your free time. If you can possibly do it whilst working, even better. And I've seen some very successful companies started in, the, in that way. And it's only when there are certain ideas which are both exciting enough and they've obviously already got enough money to be able to do it that I would actually encourage them to, to drop everything and, and, and go for it. Now, you know, some people will say, well, the only way to make it work is by 
by cutting off your life support assistance <laughs> to a, a corporate job. But, but you know, I, I do think that you've also got to be, you know, risk conscious these days. Most people have got, you know, families to support and, and you've got to have that in mind. Thank you very much, Julian. That's really good. You're most welcome. While quitting a secure corporate environment can be a daunting prospect, there are resources for those looking to make the leap. I spoke to Ben Keane of Escape the City that strives to assist people in making a success of switching their careers to find out who they are helping and how. So we've got two pathways. One is people who feel stuck in their job but they're not sure where they're going next. So we have a, a career change accelerator program so it's to explore and test new opportunities in a safe way and build confidence with a group. And then the other one is for people who want to explore entrepreneurial ideas. So it's really to get them from idea in their head out into the world to the first version and help people launch their ideas. How do they break it down into a path to escape? The sort of fantasy is that you build up a nest egg, perhaps, and then you just quit. But that's not the reality, is it? So the way we start with everyone, whether they're looking to make a complete career change and they don't know what into, whether they want to start a business, is to really sit down and say, what matters to you? Okay, Emma, you've talked about wanting to be an entrepreneur or, or get this idea you've got out into the world, um, but why? Why are you doing this? Oh, because I want to make, I want to have autonomy. Why do you want to have autonomy? Oh, because I want to have more time to uh, exercise or to travel in winter to sunnier places or to volunteer on these programs in my community. And why do you want to do that? Because I feel like that's what's important. Okay, great. So it's kind of trying to strip back some of those layers. So that's the aspirational side of the escape. And then we start talking about the reality. How much time do you currently have to explore this? You know, do you have any savings to put into this transition to create a, you know, a runway to explore it or even to invest some time into it? What resources do you have in terms of skills and networks and communities that you're currently part of where you could access that you could, you know, make use of to, to do this? Because it's hard to do it by yourself. And then what comes out the bottom of this little equation is, is what we call for the startups your good idea criteria. So it's the, essentially the two or three non-negotiables, the things that you cannot negotiate on when you're making decisions about how you're going to make these changes, what you're going to launch, what business model you're going to use, what speed you're going to do it at, etc. And so it's things like, you know, I want to be at bath time with my children at least five nights a week, as opposed to at the moment, it's one night a week. Okay, so you have to design for that. I want to be able to decide where I'm going to work at least half the time. Okay, so we need to build that into your plan. Or I want to build a nest egg in three years, you know, and that's a very clear mindset. So you get clear on that, and then you go into like, okay, what ideas do you want to explore? And then you start to try and go to more of the kind of business startup process, which is looking at the assumptions and the target audience and the, what might be, what's the problem you're really trying to solve and how might you test the first version and, you know, go into that side of things before you leap into like building the next mindfulness app or vegan nut bar. <laughs> I mean, when I talk to people who are thinking about making a career jump, sometimes some of the things that they want could be achieved by small changes in their current job. I mean, the fantasy that you will you will start a business and then you can be at home for bath time, say. I mean, lots of entrepreneurs work harder in a business that they've started than they did in their old corporate job. And so the yeah. sort of fantasy of autonomy and freedom and all the rest of it is sort of potent and misleading, do you think? 
Um, it's misleading if you believe you, you can just, there's no compromises, there's no trade-offs. That's why we do that sort of foundational work with people. It's like, well, what are you willing to trade off? So I'm often on on the phone with people when they're talking about when they're applied to our accelerator programs and they're like, well, I can't make those two weekends because I've got weddings or other social events. So I ask them, who's getting married? They're like, why are you asking me that? I said, Tell me who's getting married? And they say, oh, well, one's my brother. Okay, fair enough. Uh, the other one's a friend from school. I said, well, what part does your friend from school play in your life? How much are they going to play in the future in this business that you're going to build and the lifestyle that you want and uh, the values you're trying? Well, I doubt I'd see them much. Okay, so what's more important to you? And that's... <laughs> you're a mean oh, taskmaster. It sounds mean, but it's also like, this is, these are the compromises you have to make. Not because we're going to have to live on noodles and, and work 18 hours a day to get our tech startup going that's a choice you know if you want to do that and you can do that that's great but it's actually just recognizing there's going to be trade-offs and it's not as simple as saying i'm going to trade money for autonomy it's much more blurry than that and which makes it more interesting but you can take risk out of it oh great well thank you very much ben that's great. career changes was presented by me emma jacobs and the producer was eva Krisiak. Many thanks for listening, and until next time, goodbye. Join Capital Group CEO Mike Gitlin for a new edition of the Capital Ideas Podcast. In unscripted conversations with investment professionals, you'll hear real stories about successes and lessons learned, informed by decades of investment experience. It's your look inside one of the world's largest asset managers. New episodes are available monthly. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Invest 30 minutes in an episode today. Published by American Funds Distributors, Inc. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.